This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Did you know that over 85% of cybersecurity breaches happen due to human error? Employees at organizations across the world are too often looked at as the problem instead of the solution. The Living Security Human Risk Management Platform leverages behavioral science, gamification, and a Hollywood-style production to provide training that is 16 times more effective than its competitors. Living Security can help your organization turn your biggest asset, your people, into your best defense against cybersecurity breaches. Check out Living Security by visiting livingsecurity.com to learn more. Thank you, Living Security, for sponsoring this episode. What's going on, everyone? And welcome back to the Hacker Valley Studio podcast. What happens when you mix education, entertainment, and cybersecurity? You get Living Security. For as long as I can remember, security awareness training has been so boring and employees dread taking it until Living Security was created, and we thought it would be a great time to speak to Living Security's CEO and co-founder, Ashley Rose. In the episode, we speak to Ashley about how to bring play into work and how to cross the chasm of just having a security team and having a security organization where everyone understands and is aware of how to protect the organization. I think we can all learn a lot from Ashley. So without further ado, let's jump right into this episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. Today, we have the honor and privilege to speak to Ashley Rose, a two-time founder. Ashley is currently the founder and CEO of Living Security. Ashley and her company are changing the way we look at security awareness training and cybersecurity human risk management. This episode has been a long time coming. I'm glad we got it on the books early and the day is finally here. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Ron. I'm excited to be here. Ashley, the very first conversation we had, we instantly clicked on a lot of the philosophies about education and understanding the human side of cybersecurity. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. I am the CEO and co-founder of Living Security. I went to school at the University of Michigan. My degree is in marketing. I started out on the business revenue side of the house, but I actually found out at a very early age and actually within my college career that what I loved more than anything was entrepreneurship. I loved building things and solving problems for people that mattered. And so I started my first company while I was in college. It was an infant and children's swimmer company, nothing to do with cybersecurity or technology at that point. But what I did learn through that experience was I identified a problem, um, learned how to design a solution, bring it to market, sell it, and then support a customer base. And a lot of those things I've been able to apply to the work here at Living Security. So kind of fast forward, I've spent time in marketing and sales, and I actually started cutting my teeth in technology about eight, nine years ago now. I feel like the years just keep kind of flying by as we <laughs> talked about earlier. But I got a, a position 
on a product team working with a software development organization. I owned a product, in-house product that worked on their financial systems. And it was through this experience that I actually fell in love with software development and fell in love with technology and the ability that software gave you to really scale solutions at a global level. Um, something that, you know, what I wasn't able to do before really from a manufacturing perspective. And so, you know, I'll kind of dig more into the kind of founding story of living security, but as it pertains to kind of my background personally, when Drew and I started the company, it was really a unique opportunity for me to apply what I learned through my experience building my first company, um, the experience I gained through a lot of different positions over the years, and then again, the experience that I gained in technology to really an age-old problem of security awareness training. How do we protect the people within our organizations and why security awareness training as it was at that time four years ago wasn't working, why companies were still getting breached. So I'm, I'm excited to dig into kind of more of that story and how Drew and I came together to, to bring the company to market. You are speaking our language, entrepreneurship, software, and solving a hard problem, really solving a niche. It sounds like you really have always had this type of mindset where you've been a problem solver and someone that's business minded. Chris was telling me a story a while back how he was selling candy at at his school in high school. And that's how he got to start in entrepreneurship. What was your first taste or experience with understanding that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Oh, man, I, I tell this story actually to my team all the time because it's I mean, I think it's pretty funny. But um, when I was in kindergarten, <laughs> I was selling rocks in my playground. Um, and actually, I got in trouble <laughs> by the playground <laughs> by the playground uh, worker at the time. She's like, you can't sell rocks when people can just go to the other side of the playground <laughs> and pick them up. And I was like, lady, you can sell anything if people are going to pay for it. But, um, I would say that was fun. But then the second one, actually, when I was in college, or I know this was, must have been later middle school, I actually negotiated a babysitting salary with one of my uh, one of my neighbors. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll um, not get a job and dedicate 20 hours a week. You have to pay me for 20 hours, regardless of how much I work. And if I go over, you're going to pay me overtime. So wow. I've always been kind of hustling a little bit all the way from kindergarten <laughs> for, through the years. You know, it's so funny how these little interesting nuances of each person's personality, it begins to highlight itself once you get into adulthood. Tell us a little bit about that founder story for Living Security, how you took that entrepreneurial spirit and began to build something on your own. You know, I'll provide a little like some context on Drew's side as well, because it was really the combination of our skill sets that brought Living Security to life. So backtrack four and a half years ago or five years ago or so, I'm working at the organization on the product and software team. And then Drew, who is my husband and co-founder, he was in the army, he was a military intelligence um, and actually spent a couple of years over in Afghanistan working with Marine Corps, also in the kind of intelligence and cybersecurity space. And it was through his experience with the military that he actually had a firsthand experience of the problem of security awareness training. And at that time, I was still working on my swimmer company. So this was kind of his realm, his world. But um, he essentially was, you know, getting people in trouble, like firing them when they were making mistakes, when, you know, really that whole time they weren't getting well-trained, right? They weren't being educated on what the right thing to do was. And ultimately, like, sort of had a fear around, like, bad behavior, making mistakes, and didn't want to report incidents. And so, you know, fast forward his career, 
again, same time, about five years ago, he was building the cybersecurity program at the company that I was working at. And at that time, they had, you know, what I would call kind of one of the legacy security awareness training vendors in place, somebody that's, you know, they're kind of on the um, on the competitor landscape. And he decided, listen, like, I know my users aren't paying attention to this. They're clicking through it. They're not learning anything. And they're definitely, you know, if I'm going to make them like take this training every year, I'm definitely not building positive relationships with them where they're going to come and like talk to me about incidents or let me know if something happens or ask a question. It was all about that, that culture piece and that relationship piece. And so at the time he decided to build his own security awareness program. And he started designing games and escape rooms and all kinds of fun things for training, for either annual compliance training and, you know, just kind of remediation and um, training throughout the year. And this is really where I had kind of the first aha moment, right? So I'm at the organization, I'm working on the software team and, you know, Drew comes in and he's running escape rooms. And, you know, I mean, obviously I have the behind the scenes knowledge of it at home. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why are you building all these games? You know, he's like, it's because I need to engage my people. You know, I need to build a relationship with my end users. So, okay, fine. Uh, and so, you know, he comes to work and he's hosting escape rooms. And I went into one and some of the other, or my colleagues went into them. And at the end, everybody had an amazing time. They were so engaged. And at that point, people started asking about when can I take training? Like, when's the next training coming up? And for me, like, that was awesome. Like, I thought that was very cool. But that wasn't like the aha moment. The aha moment for me was I was in a meeting with my product team. It was like our VP of operations at the time. And they were, we were looking at a new platform. It was like a third party app, I think, that we were, we were going to use within our platform. And somebody in the middle of the meeting said, don't you think we should bring in security? Like an app and have them assess this application. And I was like, whoa, that was the first time, like in the history of my work within, you know, software and technology that I saw like a VP of you know another part of the organization actually like think ahead of time like when we talk about like security by design like literally at the foundation we're like assessing this, this new application and she's like do you think we should get security involved and it's like that's a change that you want to make right like there, it, yes we want to like stop people from clicking on phishing emails and we want people to report but you want people to think about security as a part of their job as like a business enabler and not somebody or you know an organization that's trying to slow them down or stop them from being effective. And so, you know, really being able to recognize that like true cultural change was happening, we really got our heads together and we're like, if this is working here and this is a problem that you personally wanted to solve, I bet there is a whole market, right? A whole industry, like multiple industries, you know, a whole world essentially of businesses that need the same type of solution. And so, you know, we said, yeah, that sounds really good. And, you know, the next thing, of course, putting on my marketing hat that I did was we actually went to Black Hat. So four years ago, went to Black Hat. It was at 2017. And I literally took a tablet around the blackout floor and just like stopped everybody that would listen to me and talk to me. And I interviewed them and was like, what's wrong with your security awareness program? You know, and it was like, you know, my users aren't engaged and it's not relevant. Like there was all these keywords. Um, and I said, well, if you had a program that was engaging, that was relevant, that people love, they paid attention to, would you pay for that? Right. And that's the key with a lot of these solutions. It's like, you know, it's gotta be a problem that, 
like hurts enough, right? There's enough pain that you're actually willing to make a change because there's an investment when you need to, you know, rip out a solution or move from one to the other. And it's got to be big enough that it matters. And so we heard yes enough that we decided to go ahead and, you know, incorporate and launch the company. And that year, so that was obviously August, Blackout was August of 2017. That year, we had our first four customers signed up um, for October Cybersecurity Awareness Month of 2017 and major enterprise customers. And so Drew ended up leaving his job, his job and went full time in October so that he could deliver our first training that we had sold. And then I quit my job in January of 2018 and we've been full time, like 100% invested ever since. Wow. That is the way to go. I'm taking notes myself. This is exactly how I'm going to do my startup when I do it. I'm going to do the surveying just like you did and find that pain tolerance because you're so right. When you talk to security practitioners, even people outside of security, when they take the security awareness training, it's typically next, next, next. Now, solutions have put a timer to see how quick people are taking it. And that's not the solution. The solution is to make the content more engaging, more fun, and more unique for each organization. It almost reminds me of like taking a vitamin, but turning it into like a tasty gummy instead. So that's what it really reminds me of. Where does cybersecurity human risk management fall into place here? You know, if we kind of back up to that founding origin, when we founded the company, we actually identified like two major gaps in the industry. And I'll get there to human risk management in a moment. But the first was, which I had mentioned, the lack of engagement and relevancy in training, right? People were clicking through, they weren't paying attention. And not only was this a problem, but the ultimate goal for a human risk program or a security awareness program is to change behavior. We want to reduce risk for our organization. So we want people to make more positive decisions and less negative decisions, right? Or negative behaviors when it comes to, you know, kind of their, their day in, day out um, behaviors and actions. And so because people weren't paying attention, they weren't retaining the information, we weren't educated, they weren't retaining the information. So it wasn't top of mind. And so therefore the behaviors didn't adjust, right? So people kept clicking, they kept visiting malicious websites, they kept you know, plugging in USBs, like traveling, you know, whether or not we're holding doors open for people, right? We've got tailgaters or we're not protecting our sense of information or traveling at the airport. I mean, you kind of name it. There's all of these, you know, behaviors that open up risk for the company. So the behavior still occurred. So therefore, you know, companies were still getting breached. The second gap that we saw was the lack of data and measurement and insight when it comes to the human factor of cybersecurity. Um, so if you think about like all other assets in a cybersecurity program, you know, you've got like vulnerability scanners and, you know, all of these tools that like collect and aggregate like this amazing amount of data so that you as you're in the security you know, operations center or you know, our CISO, you can have a good view at like what's going on in my environment and where do I need to spend my time? How do I prioritize my resources? What do I need to ensure against? What level of protection you know, is appropriate for a particular asset? And when it came to the human side of things, a couple issues existed there. One, the only data that we traditionally had was essentially training completion was like level one. Did everybody take their training, right? Were we compliant? Is audit happy? And that's kind of where things started. And then two, you know, with the um, with simulated phishing attacks, you know, who was clicking? Essentially, like those two data points have reigned supreme. They're on like, every board slide. 
if you're presenting your, you know, security, your human risk program to the board, it's probably what's going to be on there. But that really didn't tell the whole story. That really wasn't insight. They're sort of vanity metrics versus measurable outcomes. And so what cybersecurity human risk is and that, you know, what that second problem is, is that we're leveraging behavioral data points from across systems, across security technology, you know, across our print products. We're bringing that into a dashboard and we're giving you insights so that you can make risk-based decisions on how you want to react, how you want to intervene, how do you want to secure yourself against the human side of cybersecurity risk. So much like you would any other asset, protecting any other asset within your cybersecurity program. And so that could mean, you know, we're going to train more, right? We're seeing behaviors are continuing to occur. We need to target training to a particular group of individuals, which instead of doing a one-size-fits-all program to the entire organization and calling ourselves good, that means we're sending relevant training to the groups of users that need it most proactively instead of reactively. You know, it could mean that, you know, we need to communicate. We need to communicate about this risk to our business leaders. We need to let them know, you guys have responsibility of ownership of this risk, right? You you know, the finance department, our finance leader, our sales leader, this is what's going on within your division, right? Your people are, are making risky decisions. Do you want to accept that? Are you tolerant of this risk? Or, you know, what should we do about that? Should we have conversations? You guys need more training. It gives them ownership. You know, it could be tightening policy. Right. So you see, um, I was actually on a demo earlier with you know one of our um, current customers with our new platform, and I showed her what our solution could do around kind of DLP policy violations. And I was like, in this particular organization, you know, in our demo data, we've got our finance team, and they presented higher risk. You know, we're outside of a threshold or outside of a baseline for DLP policy violations. And she's like, how much data do I get? I was like, okay, yeah, we can drill down, we can look at the users, we can look at the incidents. And she was like, yeah, because I think before I do a human intervention, I'm going to go check my DLP logs and see, like, do we need to just examine our policy? And we need to make a different decision here. And I was like, and now you have the data to be able to ask those questions. And so there's a lot that you can do when data is transparent, when you have, you know, insight into your risk profile. You can ask questions, you can make decisions, you can leverage influence across the organization. And that's what human risk management is all about. It's taking something that's been siloed and standalone and compliance driven and putting it into a risk management framework for the security team. It sounds like a solid one-two human cybersecurity punch. You're giving the training, <laughs> making sure that everyone's nice and strong, but even on the back end, you're making sure that the data is where it needs to be and integrated so you can make those good decisions. I'd like to double click on that first portion for just a minute. I did a keynote a couple years ago. It was entitled Play Like a Kid, Protect Like a Cybersecurity Champion. And it was based on one of my favorite documentaries of all time, In Search of Greatness. And it talked about all these sports professionals and how they got to where they were. It wasn't that they specialized really early on. That was kind of part of it. They specialized early on because they wanted to. Why? Because they dabbled in all these different aspects of sports and life. And they found the thing that they found interesting and they just went into the depths. And part of that was play, having a good time while you're training, while you're learning. They found that 
the folks that did more abstract and off the wall training parameters, like fields that were either too small or too big, hoop sizes, ball sizes, different things like that, they found had better agility and creativity when it came to playing the real game. Is this some of the research that you guys did in support of all the training that you produce? And where do you see that going in the future? A stat that's always really resonated with me, it's actually on our, probably all of our website, the brain is 68% more active when you're having fun. And I think, you know, if we can just remember, and I talk about like this kind of experiential learning and just remembering experiences. And I've like often told stories from college, right? And, you know, does anyone remember, you know, what they, even what they got on that final exam or any of the questions? No, but you always remember your first college party. Like that, that experience is something that you're not going to be able to forget. So what we've done on the training and content side is try to draw from essentially these behavioral science foundations. So leveraging experiential learning, leveraging social learning, people learn through storytelling and metaphors. So drawing upon the kind of science-backed proofs of how people learn and how people retain, and then incorporating that into our training was step one. And so tactically, the first solution that we had in market was our security awareness escape rooms. And this was an actual like in office and we were all in office, hands on social learning activity or experience, you know, as you learned about security awareness fundamentals or security awareness training and people loved it. Right. I already said it was very engaging, but not only did people love it and they thought it was fun and all that, but they actually remembered what they learned. And we have tracked um, evidence and, you know, also done studies like comparable studies around what is the difference in kind of phishing click rates and report rates. Also doing retention surveys, you know, 30, 60, 90 days after an exercise and have proven statistics that, that type of training works. But I talked about like why software is so awesome, right? And because you can reach a lot more people. And for us as a company, we knew that like this was a global problem. And so as we matured our product, we had to build those types of capabilities, that type of experience into a digital solution. And so our training platform uh, actually offers two different types of experiences. We have a Teams-based training experience that's online. So we call it Teams, Cyberscape Online. And it takes that kind of active social learning components, builds them into a digital platform so that you're solving puzzles, you're learning with a group, you're you know racing against the clock, all of those behavioral science kind of stickiness factors in this Teams-based experience. And we offer that with you know different roles, different styles, different lengths for different industries. And so we really diversified it. And it's also in different language, languages as well. And then the second part of our platform, our training component, has about 160 different modules. And as you think about the content, right, the content matters. This is where you're seeing the effectiveness of being relevant, being engaging, and actually being sticky for users. We have really a diverse library that ranges anywhere from like 30 seconds to an hour of training. We're a big proponent of continuous learning, like bite-sized training modules that are coming out, you know, monthly or quarterly versus like a one time a year set it and forget it type training. But they're all produced in-house because we maintain a very high standard of quality and they're all live action. So we're, you know, we don't use cartoons or animations, but we have like real people and they're either presenting sort of a metaphor type 
nonfiction type training. So call them our micro learning and our nano modules. But we sort of compare a cybersecurity concept to something that might be more relatable or, you know, or relevant for a general end user. For instance, we talk about online security. We talk, you know, we kind of draw a parallel to, you know, protecting your homes or making sure that, you know, when you're walking down the street, you're not like, you know, swerving off into dark alleys. So a lot of people can really relate to like kind of personal protection and personal security. And it's like, why wouldn't you do that online? So that would be, you know, that type of experience. Or we have more kind of storytelling or kind of fictional training where it's either it can be live action or maybe it's a comedy, but it's sort of Netflix style, super engaging. You sort of immerse yourself into the story and then you're learning through the characters. And there's also puzzles and simulations and things that you get to interact with as well. So pretty varied. You know, people love it. We get tons of positive feedback. It's definitely from a, a professionalism perspective, from the competitor's perspective, like I can't send this out to my clinicians or, or my lawyers. And then we come in and we're like, it's very professional. It's also engaging and fun. So we get a lot of really positive feedback on the, the content style and training as well. I'd love to hear a personal story of yours. It could be about someone that you've taught or even yourself about learning while having fun and the impact that that might have on somebody that's trying to make progress in their career or in their life. Sure. So this is actually at a conference. We were, so we were set up, I think it was at RMISC there in Denver, which is a great conference. Anybody that's in that area, um, we've, we've been kind of back to back there. I think last year they were, they were virtual, but we had a group of students actually come through and they were, you know, I think they were there kind of sponsored. I want to say maybe they were high school, like kind of later high school students or early college. Um, and this group of students came in and we were hosting the cybersecurity escape room, because it's actually something that we do as a kind of a marketing tactic as well, bringing the experience to events and letting people actually get like hands on with that. We had one girl kind of like leg behind the group as they were leaving. And she was like, I always thought like cybersecurity was so boring. It was like, you know, and I mean, you we can get into some of the like kind of you know, gender diversity that's needed here as well. But like thinking about it's more kind of a, a male profession and all of that. And so she's like, but this was like really fun. She's like, I actually think like cybersecurity could be a really cool career to explore. And I was like, that's awesome that not only do we get to impact employees, like end users right, of, of enterprise organizations, but we also get to leverage our type of training and our type of experiences to make cybersecurity relatable for like the entire community. We were just filming our training series here in Austin. We have a new one coming out. It's called Secure My Life. It's going to be amazing. It's actually based off of a kind of a reality TV setting. So this person's getting like a security makeover. But anyway, we bring in a bunch of actors and lighting crew. And I stopped by the set and I just asked them, I was like, hey, did anybody learn something today? And they all were like, yes. And they started talking to me about, you know, like what they were actually doing from a professional setting, right? They were an actor. And so they were like speaking lines and they were going through different like, you know, security concepts and just different behaviors that they needed to exhibit. And the main character was like, like, there's just, I've, I've learned so much. Like I need to go home and like talk to my kids and make sure that I'm securing their devices. And like, you know, things are locked down without my house, in my house. I need to go change my default credentials on my router. Like there was just all these things that what we do 
goes like well beyond the four walls of the corporate environment. So that's very motivating for me that I think we get to like really affect like, like future generations and communities at large. I'm a huge fan. And I know that one of your goals just in general is to promote diversity and inclusion. And I think there's a lot of practitioners that listen to this podcast. There's a lot of founders that listen to this podcast. And I think we could all learn something from you. One of the questions that I had for you is, what are some of those things that you practice inside of the, your organization? Some of the things that inspire your engineers, your, your product team, and also the team that helps build these sets out to educate others? It starts at really the interview stage. One of the things that is something that Drew and I have been doing since the start of the company, we actually interview every single team member before they join. We're at 75 employees today. So we've been able to kind of keep that up. And I think last quarter we added like 30 team members, 25 or 30 team members. So it does take a lot of time, but I actually learned this from a CEO of a very successful public cybersecurity organization here in Austin. When I met with him, he's like, I was able to interview, you know, until they were like in the hundreds. So I thought that was fantastic. And I was like, all right, you're super successful. So I'm going to do that too. But anyway, so one of the things I talk about actually in the interview stage, and then it's, it's very top of mind from a cultural perspective, like being here for the mission why we're here beyond the paycheck and why that's so important. And so I really actually encourage everyone when they're thinking about joining the company, like why living security? There's a, you know, a million other places that you could go work, but this is what we do. This is what we stand for. This is what's important to us. Like, how does that resonate to you? And I actually had to do this when we first started the company because obviously I shared my story in the beginning. I don't have a cybersecurity background. You know, I came from, from marketing and from more of the business and uh, product side of things. And so I really wanted to know, like, why do I care about our mission? Like, I love that I'm solving a problem and I love that I get to build a team and I like love that I get to work with super creative and talented people. But like, what about the mission like resonates personally, like with me, Ashley, not the CEO of the company. And so I actually spent time in reflection on that and like what really stuck to me and what I shared before with a prior question is the fact that like I actually believe we get to like secure the world that what we do is not just for enterprises it's not even just for the bottom line i love that we get to help businesses especially businesses that are out like making a difference i love the fact that we're like kind of fighting the good fight right against the like cyber criminals but i also love that we actually get to really help people and like people could be you know your mom and dad or your grandparents or your kids and your communities and your schools and so we actually as a business like live that out through a lot of our like give back service events. So for instance, we, I talked about the conference escape rooms that we've done. So we've brought a bunch of students through those. We also last year for cybersecurity awareness month, we made a whole public service announcement series. It was called family first. And so it was actually geared to, towards families. And so it was around safety online safety on social media and safety in gaming. And at that point, obviously this is all really relevant because kids were not in school. They were at home. Parents were working. So your kids were online all day. If you were lucky enough to have a nanny or a tutor, that was great, but not everybody did. And so we set out this series 
And this was, you know, we let, we set it up completely free. We like, we'd spent time, like we dedicated resources and bandwidth to creating the series. My daughter, my 13 year old daughter actually helped to write the scripts. So she had to research, do all the research and wow. help put the scripts together. She acted in it as well. So if you go to the <laughs> website and you look at the family first, I'm in there, Drew's in there. And then my kids are in there too. And then some other people's kids, but it was a really cool experience. And it was really meaningful. We hosted webinars around each of the topics. We brought in industry thought leaders and speakers from like just kind of diverse backgrounds. We brought in one dad whose daughters are actually famous and they deal with a lot of kind of child predator type scenarios. So like, you know, one extreme of some of the dangers of online, but to like share some of his stories. Um, And, you know, one thing that's big for us is, you know, not, you know, training by FUD, you're mm-hmm. certainly in doubt, but using like truth telling, right? So there is danger online and it's important to share that. And it's important to talk about like the truth of what could happen, but do it in a way where we're empowering. We're not just like scaring and shutting down. So those are some of the ways that we just encourage and like kind of live out the culture on a day-to-day basis for the team. It sounds like, you know, you're, you're trying to get away from the FUD. Like you said, you're going towards truth and you're going towards fun. And I, that's one of the things that we try to do on Hacker Valley is we try to make things fun, engaging. We over-index on truth and wisdom. There's someone that's listening to this podcast right now, and they feel like all they're doing is being inundated by FUD, that fear, uncertainty, and doubt. But they want to have fun again. They want to have fun on the sock floor. They want to have fun in that meeting. They want to have fun in cybersecurity again. What piece of advice would you have for that person that's looking to inject fun back into the workplace? Think about people as people, right? Like we're all there. We're all doing a job. We have work to do. You know, cybersecurity, cybercrime is never going to end. And so I think, you know, when you're in the industry and you're spending a lot of time and you're always kind of looking out for um, and that, that next alert or the next incident and thinking about how we're going to recover from this. And like you said, you're just being inundated by that, the FUD messaging, you know, from a vendor. We're, we're sorry that this is happening. But I think remembering that, you know, at the core, we're, we're all people. We're all here, you know, for the same reason. You know, hopefully you're there for a good reason that you join that company because you're looking to make a difference or, you know, you want to solve a problem. Even from a personal perspective, you keep doing that day in and day out, like, you're going to end up burning out and you're not going to be engaged and you're not going to be like kind of on your best game. And so even if you're not on the training team, but you're just in security in general, you're probably having to take training or you may have some sort of influence, right? Or um, provide kind of feedback from a training perspective. But I would just kind of take a look at how are you engaging with your employee population? How are you engaging with your team, with each other? You know, how do we think about our jobs and why we're here and I think, you know, trying to just make a change and you can start small. It doesn't have to be like a whole kind of rip and replace your whole program and you do this whole overhaul. But, you know, maybe you want to just start by October is coming up. We want to add some gamification to our cybersecurity awareness month and you know, want to reach out and engage our end users. We want to have conversations and we want to make it fun. Obviously, Living Security would love to help you. You know, there's other potentially other vendors you could reach out to. You could do some stuff yourself, but definitely look us up livingsecurity.com. We'd love to help you engage or inject that fun back into cybersecurity and fun for your team. This was a great, great experience for us. And I'm sure for all the listeners out there, I know you just listed your website, but is there any other way that you would like people to stay connected with you and keep up to date with all the things you have going on in your life? 
You can find me on LinkedIn um, at Matt Ashley Rose at Living Security. You should be able to find me um, pretty active on the LinkedIn platform, um, on Twitter as well. And then, of course, on the website, livingsecurity.com. We will be sure to also list those in the show notes. Ashley, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak and also to learn more about Living Security. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.